One of the biggest mysteries in all of the Bible is the identity of the Nephilim. These are the giants that are spoken of in Genesis chapter 6. According to tradition, they are giants. They're cannibals. They have as their father demonic fallen angels and as their mother sinful, nasty human women. They roamed the earth a long time ago, allegedly, and they were destroyed by the flood. Who were the Nephilim, and how do we know about them? Keep watching, and I'll give you the most extensive, thorough, fun, and academic treatment of the Nephilim anywhere on the internet, and certainly anywhere on YouTube. Let's go. For over 2,000 years, Christians, Jews, and even unbelievers have been debating what are the Nephilim, beginning in Genesis chapter 6. And here is the confusing reference that starts it all. Quote, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. And then somehow this event leads to God, Yahweh, flooding the earth. What does this mean? Well, sometime around the year 200 BC, a Jewish document called the Book of Enoch, or as scholars call it, First Enoch, was produced. It gives all the details of how angelic beings copulated, had sexual intercourse with human women, and created a cosmic mess before the flood. And here is an interesting problem that we have. St. Jude, one of the 12 apostles, wrote a book of the New Testament. It's called the Epistle of St. Jude. And it directly quotes from the non-biblical document known as the Book of Enoch, or First Enoch. Here is the quote from Jude, verses 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, quote, and here is the direct reference from first Enoch one nine. Behold, the Lord came with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict everyone of all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him End quote. First Enoch 1.9. But it's not only this direct quotation of the book of Enoch by St. Jude, but Jude and also St. Peter, one of the apostles in his book, Second Peter, alludes to the fantastical events of the book of Enoch, namely the sexual encounters of fallen angels with human wicked women who then subsequently give birth to the Nephilim or giants. The birth of the giants, according to the book of Enoch, is the reason for Noah's flood. It's the reason God floods the entire earth and saves Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And this belief is also found in the canonical book of Wisdom, now, the Book of Wisdom is in Eastern Orthodox Bibles, Catholic Bibles. It's not in Protestant Bibles because Martin Luther threw it out, so you won't find it in a King James or a Lutheran Bible. But here's the verse from Wisdom 14.6, quote, And from the beginning also, when the proud giants perished, 
the hope of the world fleeing to a vessel, which was governed by thy hand, left to the world seed of generation. Here the vessel is Noah's ark, and the proud giants, the Nephilim, they perish in this worldwide flood. The author of wisdom clearly associates the flood with a divine genocide of the race of the Nephilim. The Greek word here is giganton, which is where we get the word gigantic or giant. And the flood leaves to the world a seed of generation, that is, Noah and his sons. Now, St. Paul the Apostle quotes the Book of Wisdom about seven times. So clearly, St. Paul the Apostle also held this belief and considered wisdom as part of his Bible or set of documents. Now, let me tell you the story of the fallen angels and the giants that's told in the book of Enoch, also known as First Enoch. So in the book of Enoch, Yahweh, God, sends 200 angels to guide and instruct humanity. So these 200 angels are like the proto-tutors or guardians of humanity. These 200 angels are called Irin in Aramaic or Egregoroi in Greek. Both of these words in their respective languages mean watchers or guardians. Now, these watchers corrupt humanity by teaching them evil things instead of good things, which was their goal, which is what they were supposed to do. They were commissioned by God to tutor humanity, and instead they gave evil arts to humanity, including such evil arts as cosmetology. Sorry, ladies, this came from demonic fallen angels, sorcery, astrology, and the arts of war. These fallen guardian angels or watchers also seduced human women and copulated with them. The women give birth to Nephilim or giants. Now, the word Nephilim is plural in Hebrew, and it refers to the root word to fall down. So the Nephilim are the fallen ones, but they later become identified with giants. And God causes these giants to fight and die off, and then the souls of the Nephilim turn into lost souls, demonic souls, that haunt and tempt humans for the rest of time. Now, as a punishment, Yahweh binds these 200 watchers who were supposed to be good tutors. They were supposed to be good babysitters for humanity and ended up teaching humanity how to become even more wicked. He condemned the 200 watchers to Tartarus. Why is this important? What is Tartarus? Well, Tartarus is not a Jewish word. It's not a Jewish concept. It's not Hebrew. It's not Aramaic. Tartarus is Greek. It's Hellenic. And according to the Greek poet Homer, in his Iliad, Zeus teaches that Tartarus is as far beneath Hades as heaven is above earth. So Tartarus is the deepest, darkest part of the underworld, far below Hades. And you know, Hades is the word from the New Testament that comes into English translated usually as hell. So Tartarus is the lowest, deepest part of hell. 
Now, it's noteworthy that the term Tartarus is used by the book of Enoch and by St. Peter in 2 Peter. This signals a shift. It's a blending or a transformation of Hebrew history with Greek terminology used in Greek mythology. Since Greek myth depicts Zeus, a sky god, after 10 years of battle known as the Titanomachy or the War with the Titans, sending these older primordial deities into a dungeon, into an abyss in Greek epic poetry called Tartarus. Notably, St. Peter, in his second epistle, also known as 2 Peter, explicitly uses Enoch's word Tartarus for the condemnation of the fallen angels at the time of Noah's flood. So while St. Jude and St. Peter are referring to the same event, Peter in 2 Peter is actually using the term that's found in 1 Enoch and in Greek mythology, which is Tartarus. And the angels who did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in the deepest darkness for the judgment of the great day, end quote. Here you can see Jude is referring to the book of Enoch when he says the angels who did not keep their own position, he's referring to the watchers. This is that class of 200 angels who were supposed to be tutors and guides for humans. Instead, they did not keep their position, and so they were sent to the deepest, darkest area of hell, a.k.a. Tartarus. You may say to me, hey, Dr. Taylor Marshall, he doesn't say Tartarus here. How come you're making this association? That's when we turn to 2 Peter. It's the same concept, but here the word Tartarus is used. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, quote, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains of deepest darkness to be kept until the judgment. You can see these two verses are almost identical, but Second Peter uses the actual word Tartarus, whereas Jude just says deepest darkness for judgment of the great day. Same concept, but here we have the term used in Enoch, which is the Greek term Tartarus. So it seems that the book of Enoch and following the book of Enoch, St. Jude and St. Peter have assimilated or adapted the Titanomachy legend, that is Zeus condemning the Titans into a place called Tartarus, into a Enoch legend about Yahweh condemning the 200 angelic watchers or egregoroi into the deepest, darkest chains of Tartarus, the common word being Tartarus. But in the first Enoch legend, the crime is that the angels procreated mutant giants with human women. And these giants turn out to be warriors and cannibals. Let's now look at first Enoch, quote, And when the angels, the sons of heaven, beheld them, they became enamored of them, saying to each other, Come, let us select for ourselves wives for the progeny of men, and let us beget children, end quote. First Enoch chapter 7, verse 2. 
The resulting children are called Nephilim in Hebrew or Gigantes, giants, in Latin and in Greek. And in First Enoch, the historical Enoch goes to God and seeks to make intercession for the forgiveness of the giants. But God refuses and the giants are condemned. This part of the story, by the way, is referred to in the book of Sirach, also known as Ecclesiasticus. This book is in Catholic Bibles and in Eastern Orthodox Bibles, but not in Protestant Bibles. And the book of Sirach, chapter 16, verse 7, retells this part of the story by saying, quote, God was not propitiated for the ancient giants who revolted in their might, end quote. So this part of Scripture is referring to the idea that Enoch made intercession and prayed for the giants. Could they possibly be forgiven? And God says, nope. No way. These guys are wicked. They must die. For many centuries, for over a thousand years, the book of Enoch was completely lost. And it was rediscovered in the 1700s. And when they went to the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found 10 copies of the Book of Giants, a work that describes in detail the conception of the giants in Genesis 6 from the union of sinful women and these fallen angelic watchers. The giants, we learn in these documents, were warriors, cannibals. And this theology was an important part of theology in the Second Temple Judaism. So that's the time from the Babylonian exile and the rebuilding of the temple until the time of Jesus Christ. Now, the early church fathers, who were the earliest Christians after the apostles, they taught that angels copulated with women and bred giants in Genesis 6. So, for example, church fathers teaching this idea that the Nephilim were, in fact, the children of fallen angels and sinful women were St. Justin Martyr, Tatian, St. Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Tertullian, St. Irenaeus, Athenagoras, Commodianus, and St. Ambrose of Milan. A shift begins to happen in the 400s. In the book, The City of God by St. Augustine, he taught that the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 were simply human, not angelic, human ancestors of Seth, the son of Adam and Eve, and that these righteous men, the sons of Seth, bred and had intercourse with the evil daughters of men who were the daughters of of Cain. You know, Cain killed Abel. So what happens in St. Augustine's mind is this breeding before Genesis 6 is righteous men marrying and having children with evil women, and that their children become giants. This revised version became the received tradition in the post-Augustinian Christian West. It's notable, however, that Augustine's mentor, St. Ambrose, believed, in fact, that the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 were, in fact, fallen guardian angels that copulated with evil human women. So what's going on in the Hebrew-Jewish tradition leading up to Jesus Christ, the apostles, and then Christianity? What exactly is going on in the book of Enoch? Well, the legend of the Watchers in First Enoch was written in the Maccabean period, 
before Jesus Christ. It may very well be a Jewish appropriation of the Greek myth, but it's likely explaining how Hellenistic Greek invaders are Gentile invaders into the Holy Land. This began happening with the Greeks from 312 BC. Also, bullet point two, Greeks teaching and requiring Jews to follow pagan Greek customs instead of Jewish customs. Bullet point three, Greek men marrying and copulating with Jewish women. Bullet point four, the production of hybrid mudblood Greek pagan Jewish children that are considered monstrous. Bullet point five, the need to destroy and drive out the Greeks by means of the Maccabean revolt, which if you want to read about it is in the books first and second Maccabees. Bullet point six, the Titanomachy war with the Titans of Enoch is not historically Zeus versus the Titans or Yahweh versus the 200 watchers, but is actually Judah Maccabeus versus the invading pagan Greeks. That would be a historical situation that takes the Greek myth and therefore Judaizes it or makes it more Jewish. But there are three more theories. Let's look at those. First off is the theory of Michael Heiser. He's an Old Testament scholar who specializes in the divine council theology of the Old Testament, where God sits enthroned and is surrounded by an angelic council who obey or disobey him. And he emphasizes the literal interpretation of the Nephilim in Genesis and in First Enoch. He argues that the Nephilim are, in fact, meant to be a hybrid race of human-angel hybrids created by fallen guardian angels, and that they were violent, tyrannical, and that led to their destruction by God in Genesis 6. Another viewpoint is by Margaret Barker, who I enjoy reading. She can be sometimes fantastical in her interpretations, and she gets some things right. She states that the Nephilim are symbolic, and she sees them as a metaphor or an analogy for the wickedness of humanity and the violence of the pre-flood world. She argues that the Nephilim, the fallen ones, are a symbolic representation of the wickedness and violence of what the world was like before Noah, but after Adam and Eve. And that this story explains the destruction of God against evil. Now, a more secular viewpoint that's even suggested by atheists they say that the Nephilim were a race of ancient giants or large or tall people, perhaps Neanderthals, that lived before the flood, but that their origin and their nature is still a mystery and that the exact interpretation of the Nephilim remains uncertain. It's just an ancient human memory of giant quasi-humans that humans had to fight or survive with. So having looked at these various interpretations, how does the Catholic Church, how does Catholic Christianity understand the idea of fallen angels and Tartarus and Second Peter and the Epistle of Jude, First Enoch, Dead Sea Scrolls, etc.? 
Well, the two greatest theologians in the Latin Western Catholic tradition are St. Augustine, who we've mentioned, and St. Thomas Aquinas. Both of them, by the way, had never read First Enoch in their time. By their time, First Enoch had been lost as a text. So St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas interpret the Nephilim and also interpret Jude and Second Peter in this way. They say, before the flood of Noah, the sons of God were the righteous humans, and the daughters of men were the female daughters of evil humans coming from Cain. These women were evil, and they seduced the noble and righteous sons of Seth. They interbred, and this led to the moral corruption and decay of humanity. The children born of these mixed unions with sinful mothers and righteous dads led to sinful children, Nephilim, which of course means in Hebrew, fallen ones, fallen children. And so God sent a flood to kill everyone since they were all now a mixture of the sons of Seth and the daughters of Cain, with the exception of Noah, his wife, Noah's three sons, and their three wives. The solution here is to read sons of God, not as angelic beings or guardian angels, but to read them as holy human men who are walking with God. It's plausible, and it has become the accepted tradition of Catholicism for Genesis chapter 6. However, ever since the flood, good people have been interbreeding with evil people, and we know that the child of a holy mother and an evil father can turn out either good or bad. Evil is not a matter of evil genetics. We've known that for the past 2,000 years. Moreover, St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas did not have access to First Enoch and the legend of the Watchers that was in First Enoch. So their interpretation is based on the way they're reading the text and not on this extra-biblical legend that seemed to be commonly known by Jude, perhaps Paul, and St. Peter. The book of Enoch was lost during their centuries and was only rediscovered in 1773, before even the founding of the United States, and it was translated into English for the first time in 1821. Also, the publication in the early 1950s of the first Aramaic fragments of First Enoch, which were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, changed entirely the way theologians had approached these ancient legends about fallen guardian watcher angels copulating with females. Suddenly, there were all these texts in the Dead Sea Scrolls and discovered in Ethiopia telling this legend, which seemed to be unanimous amongst Jews during the time before Christ and amongst Christians during the time of Christ and in the centuries to follow leading up to the time of St. Augustine. Ever since the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, Bible scholars now recognize that before Christ and in the time of the early church, it was almost unanimously believed that what's going on in Genesis 6 was in fact an interbreeding between fallen watcher angels and sinful women 
creating these hybrid giants that were very wicked and that this was the occasion for the flood. So it seems that the Genesis depiction of a water genocide was in reference to this corruption of an angel-human species. And certainly, First Enoch is following that idea. If St. Jude and St. Peter and Second Peter considered First Enoch as theologically true, this would mean that at least one or two of the apostles believed that the Enoch legend of the watcher angels being sent to Tartarus because they had deceived humans and copulated with them. Regardless of whether St. Jude and St. Peter believed the Enochic watcher angel legend, we know for a fact that they applied its teaching as a doctrinal paradigm for the lay people in their church during the apostolic era. What they're teaching in Jude and in 2 Peter only makes sense if their audience, the lay people, the recipients of these letters, understand the background story. And it seems that they understood this in terms of what we see in the book of Enoch, that long ago, these guardian watchers copulated with women and produced giants. Now, the context to which Jude and Peter are applying it for the early lay people, for the early Christians in the first century, is this. In Jude and in 2 Peter, they're saying, look, there are false heretical teachers that were once part of the true apostolic church. And these false teachers, these heretics, have fallen away from Christ and are teaching Christians false doctrine and how to sin. The analogy here that Jude and Peter are making is, look, just as once upon a time there were angels that were appointed by God to guide humanity in the right way of living, so also there were leaders in the church who were appointed by God to lead the people in the right way of being a Christian. And instead, these leaders have fallen away and are teaching false doctrines to the church and are seducing the women, having sex with the women. These heretics are lustful, just as the watchers were lustful and taught humanity false arts, wicked deeds. And so the conclusion here by both Jude and Peter is these heretics, these guardian watchers, these church leaders will be judged in the same way as the angelic watchers. They will be locked up in the darkest, deepest part of hell forever, which they call Tartarus, from the Homeric poetic myths. If Jude and 2 Peter did not quote and or reference 1 Enoch, we could cast off 1 Enoch forever as a Jewish oddity. But since there is so much theological reference of 1 Enoch within Jude, including a quotation, and 2 Peter, it provides a challenge for Christians. It seems that Genesis, the book of Wisdom, the book of Sirach, Jude, and 2 Peter are in fact referring to events found inside the pages of 1 Enoch and substantiated by dozens of Dead Sea Scrolls. Would St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas revise their position 
in our time if they had access to all these newly discovered documents? Or does their position stand? I'm curious how you read the canonical passages of Genesis 6, Jude, 2 Peter, as well as Wisdom, Sirach, and the Dead Sea Scrolls that promote the idea of giants as children of angels and women in light of First Enoch. So leave a comment. Let me know. And secondly, do you think that St. Jude and St. Peter believe that the book of Enoch is real? Is the Watcher legend and the procreation of giants, Nephilim, in their mind, if you met Jude, St. Jude, or you met Peter and said, hey, you know that part in Genesis where the sons of God enter in to the daughters of men? What's going on there? What would Jude and Peter say? Would they say, yeah, that, was, that literally happened. Angels came and procreated with humans and had babies. Or would they simply say, well, it's sort of an ancient story or an ancient myth, and we as apostles are using it to make a contemporary application against heretics who are teaching false doctrine and seducing women in our churches. What would it be? So please leave a comment. Also, if you've enjoyed this, please like it, share it, and subscribe for more content. I think I've given you just about all there is on First Enoch, Second Peter, Jude, and the Nephilim. I hope it was helpful. And I look forward to future videos. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless.